The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the fourth chapter. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him and suddenly... Angels came and waited on him. The Gospel of the Lord. My dear brothers and sisters, I bring you grace and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As I mentioned in my welcome, uh, this is the first weekend, uh, the first Sunday of Lent. Lent, of course, began uh, last Wednesday, Ash Wednesday. Uh, the first Sunday's gospel reading in Lent is always uh, the story of the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. And for me, um, without some context for this story, it sounds, uh, I'm going to use the word somewhat arbitrary, both the temptations and the scene itself. It sort of feels like the gospel writers collected a whole bunch of information about Jesus and this happened to be one of many things that happened to him, uh, and so they added it to the Gospels. What I want to suggest today um, is that the temptation stories are actually a really important part of the arc of Jesus' life and ministry, um, but they only make sense when you understand the context of what comes before them and what comes after them. And what I want to suggest this morning is that the temptations actually sort of naturally flow out of what precede them, and they also prepare Jesus for what's going to happen uh, once he leaves the wilderness. <clears throat> so I'm going to sort of tease that out uh, this morning. So before the temptations, you may know this, that the event in Jesus' life that has just happened is his baptism. Uh, Jesus' baptism is this critically signal important event in his life. We, of course, don't know a whole lot about Jesus's life before his public ministry, but it is clear that at his baptism, Jesus' own understanding of who he is is galvanized in a powerful way by the words that he hears spoken to him after his baptism. You are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. And so from that moment on, Jesus recognizes and he understands that God has an uh, important, specific, particular call and mission on his life, but he needs to still sort of discern and figure out how that's going to play out. 
And so the Spirit, in all its wisdom, uh, actually sends Jesus into the wilderness. If you read the very first line of today's gospel, what it says is, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So there's a sense that the Holy Spirit understands that after this momentous event of Jesus' baptism, Jesus is going to need some space and some time to absorb this message and figure out what it means next. So he's sent out into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, which is part of the reason, by the way, of course, that Lent is 40 days. Before Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days, though, 40 was already a really important number biblically. Uh, Noah and his family are in the ark for 40 days. Moses is on Mount Sinai fasting and praying before receiving the Ten Commandments. Uh, The Hebrew people, of course, are in the wilderness for 40 years as they prepare to enter the promised land. And importantly, the prophet Elijah is out in the desert for 40 days, again, fasting and praying, uh, before receiving a new commission from God. And by the way, just a little foretaste of things to come, our last Wednesday worship, we will actually talk a little bit more about that Elijah story. We're talking about fasting uh, in some different kinds of ways during Lent. That will be fasting from sound. So Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days. 40 days is always, or the number 40 is always a time that signals um, repentance, meditation, waiting on God's next step. And I think it's easy to imagine Jesus in the wilderness turning over in his mind and reflecting on and thinking about, uh, again, this galvanizing event of his baptism. Okay, I evidently am the son of God and I now understand it in a new way. What does that mean? How am I supposed to approach my ministry? And it is in that context that the devil comes to him and begins his temptations with a line that is directly connected to what Jesus heard at his baptism. How does the devil begin the first two temptations? By saying this, if you are the Son of God, if what just happened at the baptism is true, if you really are the Son of God, then here is how you should live your life. First, take care of your own needs, right? Turn these stones into bread. And he goes on, if you are the son of God, climb up to the top of the temple and throw yourself down, and you know what's going to happen? God's going to save you, and everyone will know precisely and exactly who you are. There will be no doubt in anyone's mind that you are the son of God. And in the last one, I think this is where the devil overplays his hand. He says, if you're the son of God, then you can have all the kingdoms of the world if you do what? Bow down and worship me. And it's here where Jesus becomes aware that, no, these three temptations, what the devil is asking me to do, that is not, in fact, the path I need to take as the Son of God. I'm going to take a different path. Okay, so already the temptations now make a little more sense, in my mind at least, as we understand them growing out of the baptism event And as part of Jesus' discernment is turning over in his mind how he's going to live the rest of his life. So how do they prepare him, the temptations, for the rest of his ministry? Well, very quickly after Jesus leaves uh, the wilderness, uh, before the end of the chapter that this is written in, we're told he starts gathering his disciples and large crowds start following Jesus. Which means, and this is maybe not a word we think of when we think of Jesus, but it's true, I think, Jesus becomes a celebrity. 
He becomes well-known. He becomes an influential person. And if you doubt that, then I will remind you that the most powerful empire on the earth at the time put him to death. They did not trouble themselves with people who are insignificant and unimportant. They worried about people who were maybe going to disrupt the status quo, uh, which Jesus certainly was going to do. So as Jesus rises in celebrity, as he becomes a more um, impressive, influential people, do you think that there were people who, for all kinds of reasons, wanted to get close to him? Yes. And I'm going to suggest that there were people from all sides. There were some who maybe were kind of sympathetic to his cause, uh, but maybe didn't care so much, but because he was influential and visible, they wanted to get close to him just to satisfy their own ego needs, right? And then I think also there were probably people who were deeply opposed to him uh, that also wanted to get close to him to get him off of his message, get him off his game, and maybe use some of the influence he was gathering to support their causes. And how are those people going to try to get close to Jesus? By tempting him. What are the four classic temptations that human beings are prey to? These are, I'm going to tell you, if you were wondering. Uh, They are pleasure, honor, power, wealth. And I believe absolutely that as Jesus' influence rises, there are all kinds of people who are trying to tempt him with all four of those things in order to get close to him. And then if we go back now to the temptations in the wilderness, there are only three, there aren't four, but how do those line up with those classical temptations? Perfectly. The first, turn stones into bread, pleasure. Take care of your own needs, satisfy your own needs. Go up to the Temple Mount and throw yourself off and you will be honored beyond imagining, right? So honor. And the third one, All the kingdoms of the world will be yours if you just bow down and worship me, power. There's not a fourth one for wealth, but we're going to bake that into the power one, okay? So all of these things Jesus is being tempted with in his ministry, and he has been prepared and steeled against responding to them, I'm going to suggest today, by the temptations in the wilderness which he was able to withstand. So again, for me, the temptation story makes a whole lot more sense when you understand what comes before it, what comes after it, and put it in context. Now, here, of course, is the challenge. The temptation stories happened a long time ago, 2,000 years ago. And of course, as we all know, people back then were not nearly as smart or sophisticated or advanced as all of us. And after 2,000 years, we have discovered how to not be consumed by those temptations, right? Thank you for laughing. They are still a real challenge. And I want to make just something very clear, by the way. When I talk about those four temptations, I am not. Please don't go back home and post on Facebook. I went to church today, and my pastor said that uh, pleasure, honor, power, and wealth are all bad. That is not what I'm saying at all. I don't believe the church is puritanical in the negative sense. I don't think we're opposed to pleasure. We believe God made the world and wants us to enjoy it, nor do I think that we're opposed just on its face to honor, uh, power, or wealth. Those are all tools that can be used for good or for ill. Where we become concerned 
is when those things take the place of who? God. When rather than becoming our servants, they, we, we serve them. And to use more modern language, those temptations become, in some cases even, addictions. So today, as we begin the first weekend of Lent, what I want to suggest is that this is a wonderful time for us to try to let go of some of those unhealthy attachments. And while it may sound strange, Lent is actually one of the most active uh, periods, uh, seasons of the church year. There are three very specific faith practices that historically have been lifted up for Christians during Lent. Praying, fasting, and works of mercy. Or works of mercy can mean giving alms. Prayer, fasting, and giving alms. Those are all intended to help us exercise our muscles of faith uh, and to let go of the things that get in the way of a healthy relationship with God. My very simple prayer for us this Lent, brothers and sisters, is that we might practice those things to allow ourselves to hear more clearly, clearly the voice of God who is trying each and every day to say to you, you are my beloved child. In you, I am well pleased. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Good and loving God, we thank you for the gift of this season. We pray that you will help us use the disciplines of Lent to let go of unhealthy attachments and to open ourselves up to your voice. And all this we pray in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.